Hey everyone, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place to follow the world of men's professional volleyball. In today's episode, I will talk about a couple transfers, one of them pretty spicy, that happened the past week. Talk about the first week of Champions League finally here, and I think it lived up to expectations. Really fun week of Champions League. And then of course a little bit of Italy, Poland, and Russian leagues as well. And then I guess since we're pretty much at the midpoint of the regular seasons, which is weird to say, uh, I'll go over the MVP, the most valuable player, I think, for each league in professional volleyball so far. So settle in to your office chair, your car, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Personally, I like to listen to them while walking, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's start with probably the juiciest news of the week. A big transfer happening. French middle blocker Kevin LaRue will be playing in Berlin Recycling Volleys this year. Now, I don't think Kevin LaRue is necessarily the same player as his prime Modena days, but still a very effective middle blocker. Still definitely an upgrade on Anton Brem, who was the secondary middle blocker for the Berlin Recycling Volleys. Kevin LaRue and Eder Carbonera. If you told me that was going to be the middle blocker combination for a club team five years ago, I was like, yeah, man, you can't really get too much better than that in the entire world of volleyball. Unfortunately, both those guys a little slower, a little bit older, still a pretty effective pairing, though. My main question is, does it really move the needle for Berlin? I mean, I guess it makes a lot of sense when you're coming at it from a German league, Bundesliga perspective, because it seems like it is going to be pretty tight at the top of the German league between Friedrichshafen and Berlin, as it usually is. Maybe even a little Hersheng. Don't know if you guys have been following Germany, but they're doing pretty well. Maybe Duran. Who knows? But in terms of Champions League, especially given who they're going up against next week in their pool, don't really see it being a difference maker given that they're going up against teams like Zenit Kazan and Yastrebji Vagil. Still, even with Kevin LaRue, going to be a real tough battle against either one of those teams. But maybe if you got a deal on Mr. LaRue, it won't be too bad. Also, thanks to listener Philip who pointed out that the Grankin injury, probably not that bad. They won't need to rely on Sebastian Kuhner for too long. And I mean, with Grankin coming back, patched, playing fairly well this season, Timothy Carl and Samuel Tuia, the two French outside hitters, Kevin LaRue, Eder Carbonera, and Julian Zenger. That's a pretty solid team. Not a Champions League contender or anything, but... I think they'll probably be able to get the job done in Germany. I think on paper, they'll, they're for sure more talented than Friedrich Schaffen. Another transfer this week has to do with Piacenza. As you may know, Jörg Grosier suffered a bit of an injury or a lot of an injury. Still a little unclear to me, at least, how serious it is. Doesn't seem to be too, too bad. I definitely expect him to get back before playoffs. But in kind of an interesting twist... Um, James Shaw, who I would have pegged, or I guess has been their backup opposite and was signed as such at the beginning of the season, the former U.S. American setter, kind of abruptly left the team. And, and whether that was his decision or the team's decision or a combination of both or, or whatnot, um, I don't know. haven't talked to him personally or talked to anyone who knows him personally. You can check out his Instagram post if you want to find out a little bit more. And I hope he's doing well. I think he's a great player. I was actually pretty excited to uh, check him out at opposite for Piacenza this season. 
So that's why I'm, it's, I don't know. It's just, I guess the timing's a little strange because this has been the perfect opportunity for him to come in for Grozier and kind of be that stopgap until Grozier is fully recovered. But that's not happening. So instead, Piacenza is going with the Czech opposite, Michael Finger, who I've had an opportunity to see in person a couple times when he was trying out for the Korean Volleyball League that had their drafts in Toronto when I lived there. And, you know, he's a decent player. For sure, not a uh, starting level opposite in this Superliga. We saw that he struggled a little bit when he was on Monza the last in his last stint in the Superliga, and I don't think he's gotten any better since then. He kind of split time with Simon Hirsch, who I'm, I'm not really a big fan of either, or at least as a Superliga starting opposite. Really, really uh, strong guys. He, one of the probably the most jacked volleyball players, I would say, just from seeing him in person. But unfortunately, doesn't really always translate that well to actual skill level so yeah he's a bit of a bruiser he's athletic not like a top tier athlete but athletic enough unfortunately the uh decision making and attacking skill level not definitely not top tier but will be serviceable in piacenza as long as grosier i mean grosier doesn't take too too long to come back he's not like coming back his first game in the third game of the first round of the playoffs or something the chinese league is starting it's only going to be a month long so Barely a blip in the volleyball schedule. Matt Anderson made an Instagram post, is on his way over to China. Also, Marco Sedlicek, the Croatian outside hitter who has been playing for Monza this season, also heading to Shanghai, which is, you know, pretty good endorsement for him. Probably make a little bit of money there, which means that Monza, you know, is officially relying for sure on Filippo Lanza. And I mean, he's been killing it so far. But we'll see. I mean, it's a little risky, Monza, to rely on Lanza. He's certainly playing well right now. But uh, yeah, relying on Mr. Inconsistent, maybe not the best game plan, in my opinion. Although, probably didn't want to outbid what China was willing to pay Sedlicek, who was on the bench anyway. So I think a good deal for both sides. The Eurovolley 21 host cities were announced. Poland, Krakow, Katowice, Gdansk. The tournament's ending in Katowice. Also, Tampere, Tampere, not sure how to say it, in Finland, Tallinn, in Estonia, in Ostrava, in Czech Republic. So, if you're listening to this in Europe, maybe not book your tickets yet, because we still don't know exactly what the coronavirus situation is going to be in September 2021. But, you know, the Eurovolley hype is starting, so, so prepare yourselves. All right, so now let's move into the first week of Champions League. Pool containing Trentino, Friedrichshafen, Czech club VK Karlovarsko, and also Russian reigning champions Lokomotiv Novosibirsk. And there was one really interesting wrinkle in this pool, and that was Simone Gianelli still out with COVID, hopefully making a strong and fast recovery. Backup setter Lorenzo Sparotto also out with COVID, so both setters out. And if you listen to this podcast or have been following the Italian league the past few weeks, you know what Trentino is going to do. They're going to bring former setter Namir Abdelaziz out of the opposite position, even though I've said it on this podcast, I think last week, he's probably the best opposite in the world right now, but bringing him to the setter position. And what do you know? Trentino 3-0 against a couple fairly strong teams in Friedrichshafen and Lokomotiv Novosibirsk. Now, a big caveat Novosibirsk missing Konstantin Abev, their starting setter. He's been having a great season for them so far. Young Russian potentially. I think one of the starting setters on the Russian national team sometime in the future. Watch out. But yeah, the backup setter. 
Alexander Vorpave, kind of sloppy, throwing the ball not exactly where his hitters wanted it, not making the best decisions, also missing middle blocker Dmitry Sherbinin. So yeah, okay, they, they were missing a few players, but that doesn't go with my headline, which is that Trentino dominating Champions League without a setter. And man, they, they actually looked pretty good. I mean, Mirab Delzi's previous national team level setter, so he's no slouch. But as you guys know, it's hard to go back to setting after you haven't done it seriously for the amount of time that he's been out of the uh, setting position. And yeah, he wasn't really trying any fancy sets. It's also funny because he was definitely looking to attack every ball he could, uh, going on two quite a few times. And of course, we have to talk about the legendary serving run in the fifth set of Game 1 versus Novosibirsk. The two teams looked pretty tight up until that fifth set. It was a real battle back and forth. You know, these are games that for sure will matter, potentially, especially at that point, for who's going to move on from Champions League in this group. And then the Mirab Delaziz at 4-2 serves 11 times in a row to give Trentino a 15-2 win in the game against Novosibirsk. Absolutely ridiculous stuff. And then Trentino a few days later, crushing Friedrichshafen 3-0. So yeah, pretty impressive for a team. You know, if I were them, I would, why not try a Gianelli Namir Abdelaziz 6-2? See what happens. Yeah, it's been interesting this season watching Trentino because we've seen the Champions League Trentino, which is like the best version of them. Also, Lizinac having a great weekend. Alessandro Micheletto got a, some playing time at opposite and outside hitter as well um, during the week. And then in the Italian Domestic League, just not looking great, not looking like the same team. So, I mean, we've seen it in the past a few times where teams look way better in European Cup competitions than they do in their domestic leagues. I think Gdansk a couple of years ago was like 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one in Champions League, like killing their group. And then we're out of the playoffs in the Plus Liga. So it does happen, but um, funny to see that Trentino is the team that it's happening to right now. So as the dust settles from men's group E, looks like Trentino's in the best position. I can definitely see them going through to the quarterfinals. Probably Friedrichshafen would be the other team that I would pick to potentially make it. Although, if Novosibirsk is back at full strength for the next round of tournaments in February, they could probably, Friedrichshafen and Novosibirsk could probably uh, kind of cannibalize each other and take some games off each other. So, I see Trentino winning the group given how they have played so far. So on to the Italian Super League. A few fun games this week. Just a quick recap of the standings before we start. Perugia first with 30 points. Then Lube, 29 points in second place. Milano, third place, 19, tied with Vibo Valencia with 19 points. Piacenza, 18 points. Morena, sixth place, rare for them, 17 points. Monza, 16 points. Trentino, 10 points. So you can see Trentino still in the playoffs, but outside of that kind of top seven group there, that's starting to to come away from the group. Then Verona, nine points. Padova, eight points. Ravenna, six points. That's sad to see. I thought they would be better than that. Cisterna in last place, five points. One win, ten losses. So tough season for them so far. One of their losses was a match this week against Milano. Pretty easy. Three-nothing win for Milano. Steven Marr. Canadian outside hitter looking like Milano's best player right now he's slowly climbing the leaderboard and scoring doing so a little more aggressively recently which I like 
I know he wants to develop and likes his kind of off-speed, tricky shots, but he is quite a good athlete, even at this level. So it's good to see him putting a bit more pace, putting a bit more power on the ball because we've all seen him be able to hit really well like that. On the other side of the net, I mean, Tobias Creek, insanely physical player, huge, definitely still has a lot of potential, still a young guy, but man, he makes some pretty obvious reads in my opinion. I think he should adjust his footwork a bit, come in at a few different angles, work with Georgie Saganov to figure something out because right now opposing middle blockers reading him covering a strong side and more often than not he's hitting right into their block only three for ten this game which is a really tough stat to read for a middle blocker and you know me and most coaches always say blocking is by far the most important part of being a middle blocker but you have to be a credible threat in offense as well and just not take away from your team if your setter trusts you enough and wants to rely on you enough to set you 10 times in three sets as a middle then you've got to execute. You've got to hit at least five, preferably six, seven, eight of those attacks and convert them because, you know, a lot of those attacks are coming in free ball situations, perfect pass situations. So those are really tough opportunities to waste. Another game that I won't spend too much time on is Lube beating Verona. Lube dominating the first two sets, Verona winning the third. And then one of my favorite moments of the season actually was Robert Landy Simon going on an insane, insane serving run at the end of the fourth set to just put a dagger right in the heart of Verona, serving five aces in six serves, seven aces total for Robert Landy in the game as a middle blocker. Like, that's so valuable to have as a middle to be able to serve a team off the court like that. And they were heaters, too. I put a video up on my Instagram of all a collection of all his aces and like some of them the Verona wasn't even trying to get because they were just coming way too quick well-deserved MVP for our Cuban middle blocker there and Lube and Perugia pulling away at the top of the standings but another probably the most highly anticipated game of this week which I would not have believed you if you told me this at the start of this season Perugia versus Viva Valencia Viva Valencia the Cinderella story of this season as I mentioned earlier, in fourth place in the league, some somewhere that, you know, I don't think anyone expected them to be at the start of this season. Everyone playing really well. Thibaut Rosard, Bethelemy Chininez, TJ DeFalco, Davide Seda, all playing some of the best volleyball of their careers. But it wasn't enough to go up against the juggernaut, the serving, attacking juggernaut that Perugia has been this season. And Vipa Valencia was trying a strategy that I also saw Morena try later in the week, which is just targeting Wilfredo Leon on service, like no matter what. Just going right at him and a lot of times sacrificing a little bit of power to get that serve, make sure it's on target. And I I don't know. I don't think it's working for either team. I think it's one of the reasons why they both lost so badly. I think coaches need to get with the times. Wilfredo Leon, you know, he's never gonna be he's never gonna be Taylor Sander, he's never gonna be Michal Kubiak. But Wilfredo Leon has definitely improved his passing, especially on float serves to the point where I don't think he's a big liability at all on the court. Like he's actually a solid to maybe even above average float serve passer out there right now, which is credit to him for working hard on that part of his game, which was probably the only real weakness in his game. We also saw him bust out a lot of tips this game. He's improved that a lot. So credit to Vidal Hainan working with Wilfredo Leon the past couple of years and shoring up some of those weaknesses, making him a more complete player. Yeah, Wilfredo Leon passing pretty well in both games, getting Perugia a lot of easy balls and... and <laughs> If you're letting Perugia 
run their entire offense with all four options against you, you're, you're not going to have a good time. So I'd like to see teams switch up the serving strategy a bit. Wilfredo Leon is not enough of a weakness that you can exploit him with mediocre float, float serves. So I'd like to see teams go go with more power serves against Perugia. I mean, it almost doesn't matter because they're such a good out-of-system team as well with the with the level of attackers they have between Wilfredo Leon, Ole Potnitschke, and Teister Horst slash Shawan Renan Evans slash Alexander Tanasevich. But anyway, Leon getting the better of Vibo Valencia, also getting better the better of Modena. I actually thought the Modena block, this is maybe their best blocking game of the season, really disciplined. They're making good reads. Everyone was fast to the ball. I think the issue in this game was that they were putting the block touches back on the side of Perugia rather than back on their own side and giving themselves an opportunity to run their offense. Because you give Perugia, you know, you block them four or five times, but if they just uh, rebound the ball and get another opportunity to run an attack, even if it's kind of like a crappy outside attack, like their crappy outside attacks are still pretty good. So, and that's not something you can really control too much. That has to do with a lot how the attackers are hitting as well. But it must be frustrating as a blocker when you're making good reads, when you're getting to the ball and then just having Perugia the opportunity to run their offense again and again and again and again. And the end of this game against Modena was a real fun one. Nemanja Petric with two huge solo blocks on Teister Horst in the third set. I was kind of hoping that means we would get to see Shawan, but Vidal Hannon trusting his Dutch outside slash opposite. And then Ole Plotnitschke at the very end coming in 24-24 and just rips a couple of huge aces in a row, giving Perugia a well-deserved 3-0 victory. Like I said earlier, Lube, Perugia, really making a lot of separation at the top of the standings. Another game that helped that separation was Lube beating Cisterna 3-0. Nothing too much to talk about here. Yorgi Sekinov needs to get on the same page as his hitters. There was one point in the third set, 14-12, where him and Kevin Tilly just had a complete breakdown. The tempo was completely off and the ball just went over Tilly's head. And, you know, I think that's on both of them. I think, you know, Tilly's definitely losing some athleticism here and wasn't where he needed to be. And then Sekinov was just, you know, off, off with where he was put, placing the ball. We got to see a lot of Julio Sabi in this one. Again, another guy who's maybe losing a bit of athleticism since the last time we saw him after his uh, break in China. Still a fairly decent player, but I don't know. If Cisterna is going to... I think they're too good to rely completely on Julio Sabi. <laughs> Jorge Saganov setting to Julio Sabi for their entire offense this season. You know, I think that's too easy to uh, just give up and go to that as your main offensive weapon. I think there's too many other things that are really interesting they could do. Of course, it's really difficult to figure out what's wrong with this team sitting at 1-10 right now. But I do still believe that they will not be the relegated team this season, or at least the last place team. Just watched another fun one between Milano and Monza. Monza coming up with the clutch victory 3-2. Really fun match. An insane amount of defense there in the fifth set, but ultimately put away by Addis Lagumzija with a couple nice hits and then a great serving run to seal the deal in five. For Milano, a bit of a strange game. Steven Mara was absolutely on fire, definitely his best game of the season. Whereas Yuki Ishikawa might have had his worst game of the season, not being on time for some of his attacks. 
hitting into the block a lot, being completely late on on some of his blocks, just gave Monza some completely free swings, which is really strange to see from Yuki Shikawa, who's usually a very disciplined and technical player. Passing all over the place, not a good for Yuki Shikawa. Actually got subbed out at the end of that fifth set there for Luka Basic, who proceeded to get aced twice by Adesla Gumzija. But yeah, too bad for Milano. I mean, it's good that they picked up the one point. That's a game I would highly recommend if, if you missed it to go maybe even try watch again. Really good stuff from those two teams. The middle tier of the Italian league looking better than ever. On to the Polish league. Versava beating Lubin 3-1. Katowice beating Stal Niasa 3-2. Which, I mean, it's tough, but at least Niasa got a point in there, which is important for them given where they are in the standings. Rysovia. Starting to look a little better here. Beating Zavierci 3-0. And I, I told you guys, the Zavierci thing was not real. They were not going to continue their place at the top of the standings. I think they just had a hot start. I think the team last year was better than the team this year. And the team last year didn't even do that well. So Zavierci regressing to the mean. I mean, when you're relying on Garrett Makutitishi and Piotr Orchik to uh, be your big two outside hitters... There's a very low ceiling on your performance. Probably the funnest game this week, Zaksa Kazirjan Kozil versus PG Skral Belchatov. Very fun five-setter here. Most of the sets were close, except for the third one. Went down to the wire, back and forth. Fourth set, 28-26 for Skral on some insanely tight calls. This one ball that Wukush uh, Kachmerik hit just barely, barely touched the line by like a centimeter. Gregor Lomash is doing a pretty good job of getting his team single blocks throughout the game. Unfortunately, a lot of the players were having a little trouble converting it. Not the highest hitting percentages across the board for Spelchatov, only hitting 43% as a team compared to 55% for Zaxa. Zaxa seemed to make quite a few unforced errors in this one. Some weird ones by Oleg Stifka who was, you know, hitting the ball out of bounds deep on pipes, was trying to do his kind of funny set attack thing and just getting, you know, the ball stuffed right back in his face. Still ended up with a very good stat line, though, with 25 points on some efficient attacking with two blocks and three aces. Camille Semenyuk went on an iconic serving run at the end of the second. After Scraw took an early lead in the second set, Semenyuk stepped up. Zaxa played some insane defense. And they took that second set, which was, you know, obviously really important given how the rest of the game went. And I don't know, it was a really fun game to watch overall, but obviously there's still a big question with Scraw of, you know, it's almost been half the season and, and we still haven't seen Taylor Sander. And having him in for Milan Kadic would be just such a significant upgrade for them. Even if he's only playing at like 80, 85%, it would still be, he would still be the better player. As fun as this game was, I, I wish we could see the real the real Scraw versus Zaxa. And, you know, looking at Scraw's off-season moves as well, it's interesting that they didn't go after a bigger name opposite because you see Norbert Hubert sitting on the bench. You have Karl Kloch and Matej Biniak, two of the you know, top-tier middles, and then a very good middle sitting on the bench. You know, maybe it would have been better to spend your money on a better opposite because, you know, I have Dusan Pekovic hasn't really played much this season. And if you got, you know, Dusan Pekovic may be like a B, B-tier player. If you got a B-plus or A-minus guy, I think it really, really would have helped to have 
an opposite that you can rely on to go to out of system with the current construction of the roster. But these teams will have another chance to play each other, both in the same pool and Champions League next week. So right now, Zaxa up 2-1 in the series, if you remember, beating them 3-1 back in September. And now the second one, 3-2. So if the trend continues, Scrub Belchertov winning 3-2 in the next one. In Russia, the only game I'll talk about briefly is Dynamo Moscow beating up on Belgorod 3-1. Dynamo Moscow continuing with the undefeated season. Insane percentages from their entire team. Paul Deschnek hitting 13 for 22. Sam Daru, probably their worst hitter, 13 for 27. Svetlana Sokolov, 16 for 25. So really good job attacking the ball for Dynamo Moscow. You know, I'll leave a, maybe a bit of a foreshadowing here to my next segment. But yeah, tough, tough one for Belgorod this year. I mean, I, I think they've played a lot of teams close this year, but they're still missing a couple pieces. And like I've said before, really missing the fact they don't have one or two top-level foreigners. Like if they had Gord Perrin in here, for example, he would solve so many problems for their team or any number of, you know, decently high-level foreign players that were available, especially this year, like not the most expensive prices. And granted, even with that player, Belgorod probably not going to win the title or anything, but for sure with one more good piece, they would have been a, a for sure playoff team. So anyway, a development year for Belgorod. They've got their iconic player of the next generation, Pavel Tatyukin. Now let's see if they can keep him and build around him because he is definitely going to be the next star of Russian volleyball. So now for the fun part of the show, I'll pick my MVPs for each professional volleyball league. So far throughout the season, the leagues I'm going to go over are Italy, Poland, Russia, France, Germany, and Brazil. Apologies to Japan and Korea, but it's not really as interesting when there's like a few players scoring hundreds and hundreds of more points than the next guys and the smaller European leagues. As I mentioned on my Ranking Every Volleyball League in the World podcast, there's really only one or two teams that are competitive or have half-decent foreigners. The league I will start with is my favorite. You can probably guess what it is. The Italian Super League, where all the best players come to play, or at least a lot of them. My nominations for the Italian Super League, Luciano DiCecco, has the whole Lube Civitanova team hitting incredibly efficiently. Bruno was great for them, obviously, leading them to a Champions League title, but DiCecco just brings like this extra element of creativity, of flair, of you know being able to put the ball anywhere from anywhere, and it's really interesting to watch with the level of firepower that Cucine Lube Civitanova has between Camille Richelicki hitting an incredibly efficient... Uh, percentage this year which you know I don't think was happening under Bruno Osmani Wantarena, Robert Landy Simon, Simone Anzani and everyone else my next nomination Thibaut Rossard the leading scorer for the wildly successful Vibo Valencia 4.5 points per set efficiency not the greatest 44% but he's been doing it all for uh, Vibo Valencia you know putting the team on his back taking a ton of out of system balls and still scoring really well, putting the other team out of system with his serve and with his attacks. 
just being, you know, the rock of their offense for sure. Next nomination, Namir Abdelaziz, playing two positions, opposite and more recently setter, as I mentioned earlier. Absolutely ripping it at 5.58 points per set with almost one ace per set, 0.93. He's just an absolute threat at the service line, serving some serious heaters, doing a better job this year, I think, of avoiding the block. I mean, he's still prone to get absolutely roofed more often than other hitters at his level. But the man also rarely gets dug if he manages to get the ball around the block. But ultimately, the winner, my final nomination, Wilfredo Leon doing it again. 5.85 points per set, 0.97 aces per set. You know, better efficiency on his reception than last year. 47% hitting efficiency. Not percentage, that's efficiency. So, you know, really good, even though it's Italian efficiency, which is not the same as regular efficiency but still really good and then really nice stat 0.41 blocks per set which Wilfredo's always been a, a quite a strong blocker one of the leading blockers of the uh, Russian Super League most of the time when he was there but didn't really show it in Italy the last couple of years so nice to see him converting his block touches into kill blocks this year in Italy and yeah I mean he's almost averaging an ace per set almost half a block per set and doing so on incredibly efficient attacking. Not quite as efficient as 2018-19, uh, but still really nice rule of Fredo Leon, and he better get the MVP lo- uh, this year. I mean, what was it? I think it was 2018-19 when he was, like, by far the best player in the league, and it wasn't even, like, a little bit close. Like, he was, you know, 5 or 6% more efficient, scoring way more. I think set the ace record, and I think Osmani Hontarina still won the MVP, which I will never understand how the Italian media picks these. Next up is Poland nominees Mohamed Alhachdadi, Camille Seminiak, Piotr Nowakowski, and Ben Toniuti. Mohamed Alhachdadi, among the league leaders in points as well, as getting several individual game MVPs. Istrebji Vigil, second in the league. Alhachdadi, the engine for sure of that offense, working really well with Lucas Kampa this year. Piotr Nowakowski, an absolute beast in the middle all over the place on the net. He's like a fine wine, just getting better as he ages in terms of blocking. One of the key pieces for Versava, doing well, top of the league standings, even though some of their other players aren't really performing up to their usual standards. And then there were two players from Zaxa that I wanted to highlight, Taniuti and Semeniuk. And while Semeniuk, you know, is having a fantastic season, you know, really making his case to be included on maybe even the Olympic Polish volleyball team. I mean, we'll see. It's a really competitive team to make as an outside hitter. But I think I'm going to go have to go with Tani Uti, who is just running an absolute engine, a finely tuned French engine over in Zaxa, Kedzuzhin Kozil, really keeping everyone on the team involved between David Smith, Kuba Kowanowski, Łukasz Kaczmarek, Shalifka. I mean... There's a lot of mouths to feed on that team. There's a lot of, you have good attackers at every single position. So for Tony Udi, just, you know, spread the love, have everyone hitting a really, really high efficiency. They're still undefeated, just beating Scraw. And I'm really liking his serve recently. I, I mean, he's got a pretty strong spin serve for a guy who's only about six feet tall. I, I like it from Tony Udi, MVP of Poland so far for me. In Russia, which I've been watching at, Pretty solid amount of thanks to their free YouTube streams. 
My nominees are Maxi Mikhailov and Bartosz Bednorz of Zenit Kazan, dominating the league right now. Ivan Zaitsev playing in Kemerovo, coming back to his roots in Russia. And then Pavel Pankov, the setter for Dynamo Moscow. Bednorz leading the league in aces, having an excellent season, showing that last year in Modena, not just a fluke. He's legitimately an extremely good player now. <laughs> and yeah, I can't believe how stacked Poland is in terms of outside hitters. Like I've already mentioned two, Camille Seminiak and Bartosz Bednorz, and there's a chance that they might not even get any playing time in, in Tokyo on the, <laughs> on the Polish national team, which is crazy. Maxim Mikhailov, back to his usual ways, back at the opposite position. Now that he's freed from the responsibilities of reception, he's having a great season, one of the league's leading scorers, doing so quite efficiently, getting his blocks, getting his aces, and you know, rarely making any mistakes as the machine Maxi Mikhailov tends to do. Ivan Saitsev, still one of the world's top opposites, despite what some people might say, doing a very good job stepping into big shoes to fill. Viktor Politaev leaving Kamarovo, but Zaitsev has been really good for them. I mean, they don't have a ton of scoring coming from their outside hitters or middle, so it, they really rely on their opposite to drive the offense, which a lot of teams do, but I think it's even more pronounced in Kamarovo, and Zaitsev has done a great job of that this year. Pavel Pankov, though, I know this is surprising. This may be a little crazy to say, but I think he is the most valuable player in the Russian Super League so far. And some of you might not even know who Pavel Pankov is. He's the setter for Dynamo Moscow. He was the setter for that golden generation of Russian players, which includes Dmitry Volkov, Igor Klyuka, Ilya Vlasov, Viktor Politaev. So quite a, quite a strong group of players coming out of Russia, uh, born in the year 1995. You know, it's taken a little while, in my opinion, to find his way on the professional level, but definitely always had the talent. And now he's really getting to show his stuff in Dynamo Moscow. Absolutely killing it, leading his team to an undefeated record so far. Some of the hitting percentages of his team are insane. Sam Daru, I mean, which is, who's a great attacker, is hitting 61% in Russia, which is one of the hardest leagues to hit a high percentage in, which is just absolutely crazy. Sveden Sokolov, I believe, is hitting a career-high percentage-wise as well. And, you know, it's not all Pankov. You know, those hitters are doing their work. The passers are doing their work. But, man, he is just absolutely orchestrating a beautiful offense right now. It's a real shame that Dynamo Moscow probably played their worst games of the season over in Switzerland when they were competing in the second round of Champions League playing against Trentino because they would have been a force in Champions League playing the way they are right now. But so far, I mean, there's a lot of good players in Russia this year. It's a lot of fun to watch, but Pavel Pankov, just an absolute magician over there in Moscow. And in Germany, there's a couple players looking nice for Berlin. Ben Patch, Eder Carbonera, French outside hitter, Timothy Karl. I'm sorry, Timothy, if you're listening to this. I, I said it very much like a very Canadian person, Canadian-English person, I should say. And Friedrich Schaffen, Marty Jukami is kind of having like a late career renaissance playing really well. And on the other side of his career, Linus Weber is looking like the next big star at opposite position for Germany. But I'm going to have to go with the unexpected team at the top of the standings. And that is the Volleys Hersching, 
who are known for their hilarious uniforms that look like Lederhosen. I think they've put together a, quite an interesting team this year. A lot of uh, Americans, and or sorry, North Americans, if you're a North American listening to this podcast. Dave Weishrek, Jalen Penrose, Jory Mantha, you know, some names you might be familiar with if you've been following NCAA and U Sports Volleyball. All three of those guys were stars in college in North America. But I would say the MVP of the German League, the MVP of this team is not a North American. It's probably setter Johannes Thiel, who's leading the league in individual game MVPs with four so far. You know, could be the next setter, the heir apparent to Lucas Kampa on the German national team playing with. You know, there's quite a few young German guys on the up and up. I mean, definitely probably other than him, Jory Mantha is their most important player. Most recent game hit an absolutely ridiculous 15 for 19 versus the Bison's Bull. Mantha, fun player to watch if you, if you haven't seen him. Kind of like an undersized wing spiker that just jumps out of the gym and has a ferocious attack. But yeah, it helps when you're being set by Johan Steele. Definitely a player I want to watch more of. Hopefully you want to watch more of him as well. And let's see if Hershing, if they're... Uh, if their early season 5-2 and two can continue. Moving on to France, the balance of power seems to have adjusted a bit in the French league. It's not just Tour, Vebe dominating along with Chaumont. They have some actual competition this year. Caen playing quite well. Torquin also at the top of the league. Montpellier on the back of Canadians Danny Demyanenko and Ryan Sclater. On a huge win streak right now. But the player I'm going to pick is a longtime member of the French League. He's played on a few teams here. Is a middle blocker. Rare pick for MVP. Taylor Avril, American middle blocker for Khan. And he is having a pretty ridiculous statistical season. You know, he's averaging over three points per set. Hitting 68%. Which even for a middle blocker. That's incredibly high to be able to hit that well for the entire season. Also has 38 kill blocks, almost a block per set over the course of the season. So absolutely elite, both in terms of blocking and attacking, completely dominating the French league from the middle position. And he's one of the main reasons why Khan is, is you know, doing as well as they are near the top of the league, a position that they're not always in. Australian opposite Lincoln Williams also helping with that. So great job to Taylor having an amazing season so far. I mean, it's it's tough to say he's going to, you know, get a look at the Tokyo Olympics because of this because it's really tough to bring too many middle blockers with only 12 players on the roster and Dave Smith, Max Holtz, obviously locks, probably Jeffrey Gendrick very likely to go as well, so Maybe with if there's four middle blockers, then maybe Taylor could be next up. But still a tough one. But I highly recommend you guys check out his Instagram if you haven't. Because he has some like kind of alternative workouts going on. A lot of ab stuff. A lot of functional strength stuff. That seems to be working really well for him. He looks very athletic and leath out there. So maybe, maybe it's time to give the Taylor Avril workout a try. Because it, it, it looks pretty interesting. And finally, last but not least, I mean, the league hasn't been as interesting this year as in past years, but in Brazil, another setter, I know. I'm picking another setter as MVP. 
I'm going to pick Bruno, who has done a great job with Tabate since coming to the Brazilian League. 7-0 and right now. I mean, it's definitely going to be either someone from Sada Cruzeiro or Tabate because it's pretty much a two-team league this year with Sesi Sao Paulo completely gutting their team and Rio de Janeiro also just completely not existing at all anymore. But Bruno, great addition to the Brazilian league. I miss him in Italy, obviously, but he's doing a great job with that team, spreading the offense out really nicely. Their leading score is Philippe Rock at only 3.7 points per set. So yeah, when you have no one over four point four points per set, you know you're doing a very good job with distributing the ball. There's some other good players in the Brazilian Super League. Mauricio Souza having a great season for Tabate at the net. Facundo Conte absolutely ripping the ball, hitting an absurd 69% as an outside hitter. As with Miguel Lopez also doing very well on Santa Cruzero, the two hitters on that team. But yeah, the Brazilian league isn't really the same as it has been with you know, the bottom half of the league being really, really weak this year with so, so many Brazilians coming over to Europe to play volleyball and then the top two teams just being absolutely stacked compared to everyone else. So I hope you enjoyed my little segment here picking the MVPs of the season so far. If you think I picked too many setters, picked someone who didn't deserve it, you know, you thought another one of my nominees or someone else entirely deserved to be the MVP, let me know. I want, I want to hear... I want to hear what you guys think. Got a big, big week coming up next week with Champions League five pools between the two genders, which is going to be crazy. Really looking forward to that. So yeah, with Champions League in the mix here, it's, it's going to be a busy season for volleyball, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Hope you guys are too. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and talk to you next week.